Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Blessings of Hashem be upon you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and welcome to another edition of the Zohar in 15. Today we're going to talk about three ways that we hurt ourselves. And when I say ourselves, I mean it in a way where I'm talking about not just me personally, but also the people around us. It's very important to remember that we are greatly interconnected, greatly interconnected. What hurts here in my life will stem out to the people that I love and the people that I care about. Internationally, our world is mourning right now is over in England, a terrorist attack that claimed the lives of, at this point, they're saying some 22 people, another possible up to 100 injured, most of these being teenage-aged uh, folks who were out at a concert listening to one of their favorite superstars when an active terrorist struck. And we want to take a moment here to remember those lives that were lost, doing something that they love, just going out into this world and enjoying it and being part of music and theater and all the things that make us great in a tragic incident like this. I don't pretend to have the answers for this, folks, but we do know that we, as a community of believers, whether those people are Christian or Muslim or Jewish or Hindu or atheist or, or who knows where they may be, we can stop to mourn with their families for their loss, for the injuries, for the trauma that will come out ahead. But three ways that we hurt ourselves. Today we'll be reading from Zohar, Volume 1, the prologue, Chapter 21, called The Precepts of Torah, it is verse 254, and for the English, those of you that have the English uh, Zohar at home, page 145. Now, the rabbis and sages teach about these 14 precepts of Judaism, and uh, there's all kinds of how to treat each other, how to raise children, um, repentance, how to uh, how talk, how to act, and the laws of kosher. Well, the 14th precept deals with the observance of Sabbath, and there's a lot of conversation in this 14th precept in the Zohar in dealing with the separation of the sacred and the profane. Now, this is something we'll be talking about a little bit later uh, in the program. But tucked away in this little seven-page section is a gem of a verse about creating damage to ourselves. And I want to read that. We'll be reading uh, verse number 254. There are three kinds of people who bring bad things on themselves. The first is he who curses himself. The second is he who throws away bread or breadcrumbs as big as an olive. And the third is he who lights the candle when Shabbat is over. Now, we're going to talk about each one of these. These are are people who uh, have done things to hurt themselves. And there's some interesting categories there. But the first one is, I want you to think about that. It talks about the kinds of people. During the creation, if you've read the, the creation story, and I found that a lot of people really actually haven't read the whole thing. They've kind of glanced over it. Yeah, we got the concept. But there's a statement during creation that comes up a lot. And it says, many things in creation are listed after their kind. 
blah, blah, blah was made after its kind. This was made after its kind. This was made after their kind. And as people, we tend to congregate uh, with same-minded, same-belief people. Now, this isn't always a bad thing, but this is not the best way to grow. It's not the best way to face real-life challenges. Uh, on my Facebook page, there was a conversation that broke up, broke out. And you know what? Sadly, I don't remember exactly what it was about, but a Christian speaker had said something about there's a group of Christians out there who believe that sometimes in order to be the best version of Jesus you can be, you need to not worry about the scriptures or the Bible. You need to experience it. You know, and I don't want to talk for the person, but that was the on. So there were other people saying, oh, this is heresy. I can't believe you think like this. They're just trying to justify their lives and on and on. Well, one of the things I suggested there was, well, you know, rather than, you know, name-calling, because that's really mature, rather than name-calling, how about if we engage them in dialogue and say, hey, look, you, you seem like you want to do the right thing. You love Jesus. You, you want to follow in the faith tradition. You're suggesting the idea that it, today you could follow Jesus better without being tied to the Scriptures. Man, how would you come to that conclusion? What, what brought you to think like that? Maybe we can engage in dialogue, but we tend to congregate with the same-minded people, the same belief system type people, and sometimes that inhibits our ability to face challenges and grow because we're always with somebody going, uh-huh, 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 all the time. And I have to tell you that some of the disasters that we see happen in people's lives is they're surrounded by a bunch of people that just say, uh-huh, uh-huh, rather than being that one friend who says, hey, man, have you really thought this through because this could hurt you? So number one, we'll mention in our verse, is he who curses himself. He who curses himself. And we do this. We curse ourselves. And what I mean by that is we're speaking down about God's creation and his image, the part of him that's in us that makes us like part of him. I know that was really hard to understand, but... The Bible tells us that we're created in the image of God. This is an early creation story conversation. And there's some things about us. Now, again, I want to step back. We're not God. We're not going to be God. We're not going to become God. But we can become like God. Matter of fact, one of the goals in the New Testament documents is to become Christ-like, to become like Jesus, not to become Jesus, but to become like him. We curse ourselves. We get down on ourselves. We say bad things about ourselves. Now, some of this is because there's some things happening inside our lives that maybe not everybody knows about. We need to get those things out, talk and confess and, and move forward. Other times, it's, it's things in the world. Like, you know, for example, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I've gotten older. Um, I know that's a shock to a lot of you. I am currently 55. That's right, a speed limit. And there are a lot of things about me that when I look at what the – when you look and you say – handsome guys that are being posted on there for, especially, you know, now, because men can wear rompers now. Who knew? Who knew? But you see these guys posing in rompers, or you see these guys posing in the in the nice clothes, you see the GQ thing. I'm not there. I'm not there. By all standards of the world, <coughs> by all standards of the world, I'm just kind of an average-looking guy. But as a matter of fact, it can be, you can get depressed as you get older. You can start saying, you know, I am like the least desirable person in the world. And how this starts, there are three things. We talk about them all the time in our Zohar studies, but we talk about it. We start with thoughts, then we move to words, then we move to action. We have the thoughts, then the words, then the actions. By the way, how powerful is that? That's how the world was created. Remember that when God created the universe, when, when the creator created everything that we see, he did it in ten utterances, ten statements, and everything you see around you 
is from those 10 statements. It either started at the moment he spoke them or it has evolved and grown into the sta- the, what we see today in our world. So it's our thoughts and then it's our words and then it's our actions. And then we head down a very dark path of negativity. We can really get down on ourselves. And the Zohar says, look, you can really hurt yourself by speaking. First of all, you're speaking against God because he made you. I do not know how many times I've told people this. And I mean it when I say this. This isn't just some cute little saying that I got nothing else to talk about. I mean it when I say you are exactly as God created you. You're exactly how God created you to be. I know people who are extremely sensitive. My wife is a very sensitive person. And you can get aggravated with her. Why do you think like that? Why are you so sad about that? Or, ah, you, you yell this way. I know people who are very, very smart. But in the common sense department, not the brightest. My son, Matt, one of the most common sense, streetwise kids you will ever meet. Just brilliant. The way, the way he sees things and figures things out. My son, David, I think he's a genius. My daughter, Rachel, she is a genius. And all the rest of the kids, they, they have all these attributes. Now, as a parent, I could say, okay, I want them all to look like this and try to design them like that. But they're created exactly the way they should be. Proverbs, that famous verse, train up a child the way he should go. The Hebrew there is, it is natural bend. There's a direction. It's our job as parents to find out, well, what's this kid all about? What's he decide to do it? Help him get there. You know, be a parent. When we start heading down this dark road of negativity, now, I want to read to you this verse. I read it in last sessions. So I want to read it again. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, and to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. Creator's listening, by the way. Verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me all your heart, and then I will be found with you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from where I sent you, into exile, and then it goes on for some more. Now, this is a very amazing part of, of the Bible. I've talked to a friend of mine just the other night about this. Israel has just finished 70 years, or finishing 70 years of exile. I want you to slow down when you hear that, because sometimes in the Old Testament, you think, oh, these people live like 400 years. What's 70? Let's slow it down just a little bit. 70 is a lifetime. I have not been alive as long as that exile went on. Most of you that are listening to this have not been alive as long as that exile has been going on. And they've developed quite an exile mentality. Well, we're here. We're stuck. We deserved it. We earned it. My life sucks. I did something horrible. God's going to punish me forever. They have an exile-type mentality. Now, I want to tell you that because of some transgression that you may have committed, a transgression I have committed, some situation, something that you did wrong, something that I have done wrong, and believe me, I've got them, you've got them, we've all got them. Well, God's banished us. He's cast us aside. And this is part of the things that start that thought to word to action process about cursing ourselves. Well, you know, I did this, and God doesn't want to talk to me anymore. I've done this. Maybe there's something you've done that you're tremendously ashamed about. Maybe the opponent is using that like a hammer, just beating you over the head with it. Or, you know what, forget the opponent. There's just plenty of people in this world that are glad to do it for him. I have to tell you something. Whatever it is, that cursing yourself, when, when you're cursing yourself, when you're holding yourself down, I'm not saying celebrate our sins. I'm not saying have a party because we did something wrong. 
What I'm saying is that we need to mourn it, and we need to figure out what we can do to make as much of it right, and we need to begin to live our lives as God wants us to live, live a life of repentance. And while you're cursing yourself, that thinking incorporates itself into your worldview and causes you to think less of others. And that's something you begin to hand on to other people. I suck. You suck too. Whatever it is that caused your disconnection from the creator, mourn it, repent of it, correct your actions, and realize who you are. One of my favorite Gnostic writings is, uh, comes in the, what's called the Hymn of the Great Pearl. Some of you have probably heard about this and read it. If you've never read the Hymn of the Great Pearl, you need to read it. It's an easy read, maybe 15, 20 minutes tops, but it tells a story. It's kind of an elaborate version of the prodigal son. But in the hymn of the great pearl, verse 111, line 56, the son finally says to himself, and I remembered that I was a child of the king. You need to go read this story. You need to go read the story, the hymn of the great pearl. If you can't find it, you don't know where it's at, you're reading everything you can, email me uh, here at the show, D-F-O-U-R-2-6, the number's 26, at gmail.com. Or go on my Facebook page, Restoring Grace. Say, Dave, you're talking about the Hymn of the Great Pearl. Send me a copy. I want to see it. It's just a fantastic, fantastic story. And I remembered that I was a child of the king. As long as you're cursing yourself, your worldview of other people is going to be the same. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions are going to be the same. And you're going to continue to live in that exile mentality. Whatever it is that you may have done, whatever harm you may have caused others, Start getting the restitution. Start moving forward. Start making the positive changes in your life and start living like the child of the king. Number two, number one, he who curses himself. Number two, he who throws away bread or breadcrumbs as big as an olive. Now, this is just like the rabbis to actually quantify because that's what they do. The rabbis take the Torah and the oral tradition and they do what's called halakha. They make rulings to determine, okay, well, now that we're in exile or now that we're in the 21st century or now that we're here, how does this apply? How do we instruct people? So they're always coming up with these really definitive explanations. Do this. So here it is. He who throws away bread or breadcrumbs as big as an olive. We are a people. We are a country of waste. And I don't think you have to look around very far to see it. I mean, can you imagine, you know, and I'd like to find out. Maybe I could ask sometime. I, I think I will. But you're at, a, you're at a, say, a restaurant, someplace like, uh, I don't want to do a promotion here. But anyway, you're at a restaurant, and you sat down, and you have your meal. And, and there's some bread left over they brought to the table. There's a few of this. There's a few glasses of water, have drank. There's a, a French fry or two or a steak or whatever you're eating. What do they do with that? They throw it away. I'm just curious, like, how many pounds of Waste food goes to waste every day here just in, in, in America. I'm just curious what it would be. Food that was prepared that somebody didn't show up for, they got something ready and they couldn't use it at the end of the shift, and, and you can't, you know, you try to feed. I don't know if they feed the people that are there that are working. I don't know how it works, but we're a country of waste. We're a people of waste. We have homelessness. We have poverty. We have hunger. We have a lack of water, clean water people that need medicine, people who are dying from very simple things that could be taken care of if they had the medicine to do it. And this could all end. I mean, that's the mind-blowing part of it all. Bono, known as Paul Houston, the lead singer from U2, and part of his philanthropy, the things that he does out there in this world, he said this at, at, at one of the conventions for the One campaign. 
loosely paraphrased. He said, we have the technology, we have the resources, we have the abilities, we have the talent, we have the skills to eradicate all these things if we simply had the will to do it. You know, a constant theme throughout the Bible is the care and concern of the poor, the elderly, and the needy. The constant theme in the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, is the care and concern of the poor, of the elderly, of the needy, the homeless, those in need. You say, oh, wait, whoa, dude, wait a minute. That's society's job. That's government's job. They, they're going to handle that. Yeah, right. During the time of Jesus, one of the most, one of the most popular stories about his, in his, in his um, time with us here in the New Testament is the healing of the guy with the demons. You know the story. He finds a guy, and he's got a bunch of uh, demons in him, and they say, well, who are you? And he tells them who, and don't kill us. He casts them into a herd of pigs, and the pigs all jump off the, the thing into the, into the water, and they drown, and we're just amazed at the power of Jesus. But has anybody stopped to think society's, at, at, at society's attitude during the time of Jesus was they were chaining crazy people to tombstones and graveyards? Did anybody ever ask about that? You ever anybody stop and preach at that moment and say, what kind of society takes a guy who's demon-possessed or crazy or whatever his deal may have been and chain him to a tombstone in a graveyard? Who thinks like that? So no, society's not going to solve the problem here. The Zohar is reminding us that we hurt ourselves when we do not share. We hurt ourselves when we waste. We hurt the community around us when we, when we do something it's just to benefit ourselves, and no one else draws a benefit from it. You ever give that a little thought about that graveyard thing, a location where no Jew would wander into is in that? When we start to include the discards into our religious programs, when we start to include the discards, the disenfranchised, finally starting to have a conversation about repairing the world. Number one was he who curses himself. Number two, he who throws away bread or breadcrumbs big as an olive. But number three, it's he who lights the candle when Shabbat is over. And if there's one that's going to get me in trouble, this is going to be the conversation here. Because I know this is going to be a huge point of contention, so I'm just going to dedicate the least amount of time on this one. But I just want to say this. The Bible, creator, creation, they all address an order, an appointed time, a certain things that happen so we can meet the king. If you read the Bible, you read the scriptures, you're going to see a cycle of life. You're going to see seasons or daily events, weekly events, monthly events, yearly events, observances. There is an order to the universe, except now in our spiritual practices. I mean, to be honest with you, you can't tell the pastors apart from the pews anymore. Jeans, T-shirts, some guys are preaching from a couch. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. Not at all. There's not. But I do believe that we create harm in our spiritual environments when we start downgrading those environments to look more like the world. I mean, I'd like to have a couch at my work and sit in that all day long. That'd be great. But, you know, I don't think my boss is going to go for a couch at my work because when you walk in, the idea is that the customers walk in and say, oh, this is this kind of business. These are these kind of people, and I can tell them apart. No one's wandering around in my work like, Hey, uh, can somebody help me? You walk in, you get it. There's a certain order, a certain way things happen. Music now in our churches, it's theater level. 
We're competing with the local bar and grill. As a matter of fact, I think we've got them beat. We've got big screens and words up on the deal. We've got we've got the music group and fog machines and and strobe lights and effects. I mean, it's just like it's like wow, this is fantastic. Who needs a rock concert when we've got this? Basically, what we've done is we've put the order of how we think it should go, and we tell God, here's when you show up. And I'll tell you now that when everything you believe and everything you do and everything that you say and the music you play in your mind is absolutely what God wants, you created God in your image. You're no longer created in his. we got a religious club now. It's geared to entertain, to occupy. It'll get people gathered around that agree with how it's going. There's no dialogue going on in churches. There's no conversations going on. There's no table talk happening. Not like that. The fact is the line between the sacred and the profane has been blurred. You say, come on, Dave, you're being legalistic. You're being part of the law. Let me ask you this. Pick the president that you would want to meet, anyone that you want to meet. Let me ask you this. He calls you on the phone, so this is president so-and-so. And I, I read some of your posts on Facebook, and I thought it would be a good thing to get together. How scary would that be? How would you dress to meet him? You know what? He's coming to your house. Oh, I just kind of see where you are. Things in order. Would you take down the bumper sticker that your boy has on his door says, I hate President so-and-so? Maybe get a new car in the driveway. Or would you just say, hey, it's just the president. Who cares? But yet we can't even get that same kind of attention, that same kind of drawn desire into meeting with God. And you know what? If it looks profane or worldly, you know, like mixing the political landscape with the spiritual, man, we just baptize it with a famous God approves of this message. We're doing this. We took something of the world and we're using it for God now. We took something of the world and we're using it for God now. We baptize it and it comes up clean. Bam, it's sacred. When we disconnect from our spiritual disciplines, we make them more palatable or acceptable, more seeker-friendly, all you're doing is secularizing them. You're just mixing the profane and the secular. You say, well, Dave, it's not that much. It's just a little bit. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe it is. Maybe it's just a little bit. Well, let me ask you this. Anybody like ice cream? Actually, I don't. I know that's a shock, but if you like ice cream, your favorite, let's say vanilla. So we get you like a quarter pound of vanilla ice cream. We got it all in the bowl for you. And you're getting ready to eat. We say, hey, listen, I just want to tell you, I took two small pinches of horse manure and mixed it in there. I got to get rid of this horse manure somehow. I figured if I just put a little bit in the food, no one will notice. But I want to be honest with you. How many of you still eat the ice cream? How many of you will throw a fit? See, when you mix horse manure with the ice cream, it doesn't wreck the horse, horse manure. It wrecks the ice cream. And when you mix the profane with the sacred, it doesn't mess up the profane or the secular, but it wrecks the sacred. See, folks, we have to be careful that we do not join millions of people on a pilgrimage with no progress. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And whether you've joined us live or archived, thanks for hanging out with us. And again, We'll see you soon on our next episode of the Zohar in 15.